Welcome back to our series, uh, Looking Unto Jesus. I'm going to be reading today from Hugh Martin, a 19th century author. And um, what I have here was written in his book, The Atonement, its relations to the covenant, the priesthood, and the intercession of our Lord. I'll read. And how does the true glory of profound theology come out to view as no dry, formal, abstract speculation, but the joyful handmaiden, yea, the loving foster mother of spiritual life as in all the churches? It is when theology ransacks all her brightest treasures to turn them into arguments for charming and compelling men to come in and frames her finest, richest theorems, refined and rich as aught that any scene has to show, into the powerful motives for the prisoner to come forth and for them that sit in darkness to show themselves. Now, let's go back through this uh, text. It's somewhat complicated, his writing, but it's, it's more than worth uh, the time it takes to mine the jewels. He says, and how does the true glory of profound theology come out to view as no dry, formal, abstract speculation, but the joyful handmaid, yea, the loving foster mother of spiritual life as in all the churches? It seems to me that for the last many decades, there has been something of a contrast drawn between uh, theology and life. So often I hear young people saying, I, I don't want doctrine. I just want Jesus. I don't want um, I don't want all that theology. I just want to hear about the Lord. I just want to know about God. And what we don't understand is that doctrine is actually a, a reference to teaching. And when you say that you want doctrine or you want Jesus, but you don't want doctrine, you're saying, I want the benefits of Christ, but I, I don't really want to know what he says. And when you say something like, I don't want any of that theology. Well, theology, if we break it down, is theos, God, and logos, which is a word or a discourse. When you say that you don't want to listen to theology, you're saying that you don't want to listen to a discourse, a biblical discourse, about God. Also, there's this idea today that um, if someone teaches profound theology, it must be complex and it must be boring. Well, sometimes it will be difficult to understand. Because just think about um, our subject. Our subject is the infinite glorious God and his infinitely glorious work of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only is it um, a deep matter, but it is a matter that goes on throughout all eternity. You know, sometimes a student or a young person will ask me, you know, when I get to heaven, will I understand everything? And well, I think you'll understand a lot, but you have to understand that the glory of God and especially the glory of God as it is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's infinite. You will spend an eternity of eternities in heaven and you still will not exhaust or come to the end of God's glory, of God's holiness, his righteousness, his love. And that is a very, very comforting thought. Now, he says here, how does the true glory of profound theology come out to view as no dry, formal, abstract speculation, but the joyful handmaiden, yea, the loving foster mother of spiritual life? You know, I have studied the lives of many men and women who were very zealous, 
very zealous, very passionate for the things of God. Some of them died as martyrs. Some of them died in poverty on the mission field, laboring and struggling all manner of hardship for their Lord. And you know what I find in common? A profound theology that they studied the great truths of Scripture. They went deep. You see, the more you see of the glory of God as he's revealed himself in the scriptures, the more you will be drawn to him and the more you will be motivated to serve him. Now, he says, how do we do this? How do we make thought theology more than just some boring lecture? Now, this is for the, the pastor and the preacher. I want you to listen. It is when theology ransacks all her brightest treasures to turn them into arguments for charming and compelling men to come in. Pastors, this is why we have our study. That's why we tarry there so long. You see, we're going into the word of God and we're laboring, not not an hour or two for each sermon. No, hours daily in order to find these these precious and glorious uh, jewels of God's person and of God's work. And then every Sunday or every Wednesday or whenever you meet to be able to go before God's people and take these beautiful arguments about him and charm them to come in. And, and he says this and frames her richest, her finest, richest theorems refined and rich as aught that any scene has to show. You see, when, when we're preparing to preach, this is, this is a great labor of love that has a, has a final goal to it. You say, yes, the display of the glory of God. Absolutely. But, but I want you to think of it this way. We are desiring to display the glory of God. We go into our studies. We pray. We cry out. We study. We go into the Greek, the Hebrew. We read other books. We meditate. We pray some more. Why? So that we can display the glory of God in order to draw sinners to him and in order to draw God's people closer to him. And he goes this. He says this. Let me start again. It is when theology ransacks all her brightest treasures to turn them into arguments for charming and compelling men to come in. Is that the way you see your preaching? That you're trying to show them all the excellencies, all the beauties of God and his redemptive work in order to compel them, to charm them, to come in. And it says, frames her finest, richest theorems, refined and rich as aught that any scene has to show. You know, so many times a man will maybe start on Wednesday or something to to prepare his message. And by Saturday, maybe he understands the text. Well, there's some merit in that. But but what we need to do in our preaching is, is start earlier and get the hard work done. The Greek, the Hebrew, the the comparing scripture with scripture, coming to understand what the text means, but then having at least a few days to sit there and refine our arguments and, and figure out how we can better display the truth that is before us and the beauty of God in that truth, because our desire is not just to inform the mind, but it's to draw men, to compel men to come to Christ. 
And he says this refine and rich as aught that any scene has to show into the powerful motives for the prisoner to come forth and for them that sit in darkness to show themselves. So much of evangelical preaching today is, is just about principles. About how to navigate through this life, about how to get your best life now. And, and surely in, in the Bible there are principles and we need to know them. There are commands and wisdom. But the great job of the expositor, of the preacher, is to go deep in seeing the excellencies of God, his attributes, his works in creation and redemption, and especially that great work of Calvary. It's the work um, under which all other works lie in the shadows to show men the beauty of God in Christ in order to compel them to come out of their dungeons and embrace the Savior. Now, there are some things that I, I wanted to make sure that I would say about this, so I've, I've just written them down. And I'm going to read to you what I wrote Please remember that our setting forth of Christ is not an end in itself, but looks to a further purpose that the student, that the, the one listening might see him and be forever captured by him. The sinner's greatest need is to see Christ in the scriptures through the regenerating and illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. You know what God said, let me read it. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Yes, they need to look to him. But if we've been called into the ministry, we've been called to present him, to display him in preaching. And that requires a great deal of work. Now, the sinner's greatest need is to see Christ. But the Christian's greatest need is different only by degrees. We need to see more of Christ that we might be like him. The Apostle Paul wrote, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Brothers, listen to me. True exposition of the gospel is not less than an intellectual endeavor. It is an intellectual endeavor. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. I've written here, its goal is that the mind might be engaged in great thoughts of God, that the heart might be inflamed with the love of God, that the body might be animated in service to God, and that the lips might be consecrated in praise to God. That is the end of our work as a minister of Christ. That's the end of our work. And if we can see that, well, then we will finish content. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope that you will dig deep in the scriptures in order to mine truth for the people of God. But also remember, this is why some of us read very old books. God bless you.